This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul's in discussion with other church leaders. They're seeing how similar uh, they are in all issues. Um, even though they've been spoken to completely separately, they come together, they meet and say, wow, we're the same. And they say to Paul, remember the poor. They, say to, they, said, Paul says, they said to us, remember the poor. And Paul says, that was the very thing I was eager to do. The very thing. There was, it's almost like there was nothing else they could have said that would have made Paul happier at that moment. And they're like, oh, Paul, there's one other thing. It's like, what is it? Remember the poor. Paul is like, that is my number one. That is like asking a kid to eat their pudding. It's like the, the, the best thing I could have asked you right now. Yes, of course. And Paul's like, remember the poor. How could I forget them? Is that because Paul was just that kind of guy? He's just a charitable, nice guy. I, I don't think so. I don't think this is a natural thing. For some of you, it is natural. You are naturally compassionate. You've just always been like that. And, uh, and for others, it's, it's less so like that. For all of us, if you're a Christian, you need the power of God at work in your life to fulfill this, to remember the poor, to know God's heart, and to express it comes as we, I guess, as God imparts it to us. I, I kind of think that's what's happening this morning. That's what God wants to happen this morning. I could just say a lot of things and you could hear them and okay, fine. But actually, God wants to impart something to you that changes who you are, changes how you think. This is what Christianity is about. Christianity isn't like, here's a list, do these things. Christianity is God has come into my life, he's changed it. And I think today he wants to change people's hearts in regards to remembering the poor. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to look at what God has said and what God has shown us. And if you're not a Christian here today, and obviously a lot of this should be like, this was not what I was expecting in a church building. Um, but it's because God's real and he's at work. And, and I want to show you what he is like. And that's what we're going to do. Great. If we could have the next slide up. This is a, um, a fairly low-res version of the largest photograph ever taken. Uh, so NASA released this recently, and it's full size. It is 15 billion pixels. Um, it is an enormous uh, panorama of the Andromeda galaxy. And when we think about the glory of God, when we think about the greatness of God, when we want to praise God for who he is and what he's like, this is the kind of thing that many of us would think about. And we would say, God, you are phenomenal. This, when you see this in, in the scale of the sky at night, it, I mean, it's a blip. It's tiny. And yet, and yet it's huge. And we think, but this is phenomenal. And God, that's amazing about you. And you'd think if, you'd, if, if this was your kind of handiwork, you would bring a lot of attention to it, would you not? <laughs> you'd be like, hey, look at this. Every five minutes or so, be like, don't forget, guys, everything. I made that. Now, God does talk about that here and there. He says in Genesis 1, he also made the stars. He does talk here and there. It says in Job, look what I did. A couple of Psalms, the heavens declare the praises of the Lord. Yeah, not much. Actually, not much. I want to show you instead what God spends loads, loads, loads more time talking about. What he is actually far more interested in. And it's this, it is the care for the poor, care for the needy, it's love for those who are lacking. 
for Paul and his fellow Christian leaders, care for the poor was a non-negotiable. It was not one of those things that you kind of think, well, I get, those guys over there, they're like that, great, but I've got some other things. It was a non-negotiable for them. It's like, this is what it is to be a Christian. To be a follower of God, you have to be like this because this is what God is like. And Paul knew this and the others knew this because they followed Jesus. And they knew what Jesus' life was like, some of them. Those who said to Paul, remember the poor, did so because they had spent three years with Jesus watching him care for the poor and teach on God's heart and his love for the poor. So when you go into the Gospels, you just see again and again this incredible generosity of God. It's even a reckless generosity of God. You sometimes think, okay, well, you know, and we, we think about this. And some of you are already starting to filter this. Well, of course, you've got to be careful about how you care for the poor. Listen, God, Luke 6, 35, 36, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's who God's kind to. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so Jesus teaches, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He assumes that you'll give. In the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's just talking about life and what it's like as a person in God's kingdom. And he says, when you give to the needy. He, never, he doesn't say if, it's when. Talking of the final judgment. He's saying how people are, what the world is going to, what the final word on this world is going to be. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. That is what Jesus taught. We also know that is what Jesus did. If you're not a Christian here today, you are aware that Jesus' reputation in huge part is built on the love and the care that he had for others. He was radically loving to those whom everyone else in society didn't care about. He uh, welcomed uh, women and children in, who at the time would have been seen as kind of like, you don't teach women, no one teaches women, Jesus did. You don't value children until they are grown up, no, Jesus did. He blessed them, he wanted them uh, to be close to him. He touched lepers, lepers who were made to wear bells around their neck so that people knew when they were around so that they could avoid them. Jesus doesn't just not avoid them, he touches them. And he brings healing to them as he does that. But actually the most amazing part of that for many people would have been he touched them. He welcomes sinners in. He even disrupts um, <laughs> clearly what is supposed to be very polite um, dinner parties because sinners, people with bad reputation, somehow manage to sneak in and Jesus makes them the centre of his attention rather than his host. That's what he does. And again, these things, so that's what he taught, that's what he did. You're like, well, that's a nice part of his personality. No, it is the entirety of his mission. The mission that Jesus came, he, um, he starts in Luke chapter 4, 
He's announcing himself to the world and he reads from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So that's what Jesus is all about. That's what he's like. But in speaking to us of Isaiah, he's actually going to send us further back into the Bible. Because what I'm doing, I just want you to get the big picture of this. I don't want to just give you a verse or two. I want you to see the whole of who God is. Many people, when you think of the Old Testament, you're like, oh, that's the nasty bit. It's in the Old Testament that any Christian consideration of the poor must begin. Because it's in the Old Testament that God has spoken again and again and again about his concern for this. In Isaiah 1, Yahweh, the God of Israel, shows that he's not like, uh, for example, the Roman gods that the Galatians knew. So the Galatians, who Paul said, uh, write that letter to remember the poor, they knew gods who had to be, you had to keep them happy by making sacrifices to them. They were needy gods. They needed stuff done for them. And in Isaiah 1, we see that Yahweh, uh, the, the Lord, is totally different to that. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says Yahweh. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Instead, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. One off? Not in the least. He says similar things to the prophet Amos. I mean, this is, can you imagine if this was the prophetic word that came during our worship time? I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That is what God wants. There is no other God like this. No wonder the prophet Micah is rather confused. You look around and you look at all the other religious systems and he's like... This is different to all of them. He says, With what shall I come before Yahweh and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will Yahweh be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands, with tens of, thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does Yahweh require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. Why were the prophets so concerned with this? Why do they keep coming back to this theme again and again and again? It's because they knew what God was like. And they'd read his law, the law of Moses, that talks again and again and again that this is the case. I'm just going to read a huge chunk of this, like 12 verses of it. This is in the law, the kind of bit when you're doing the Bible in the year, you kind of get a bit stuck on. You're like, I don't quite get this. And it seems a bit awkward here and there. Well, listen to this from Exodus chapter 23. 
Remember how people say, oh, the Old Testament law is full of things you shan't do. Well, listen to these things you shan't do. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. You shall take no bribe, for a a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the harvest sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. For six years you shall... This is amazing. Can you imagine this for a business plan? For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise in your vineyard and with your orchard. Six days, of the, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. God said that's what it's to be like for you as my people living for me. Deuteronomy 15 says, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that Yahweh your God is, living, is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. Try to find some exceptions in there. Try to find some wiggle room. God does, he just gives you none. And again and again, we see the God who threw the stars into space, for whom this is his handiwork. We might say, this is his finest thing. And he's just not that... It's, I mean, God's able to be interested in many things all at once. I just don't think he's that interested in that. Because in his word, what he's shown us about himself again and again and again, it's the needy he's pointing us to. It's those in trouble who he's showing us. It's those who are in desperate need who he is giving his care and attention to. Cain is murdered and God says the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You know what it's like to be busy and have a lot of things going on in your head. I mean, can you imagine being God and yet he hears the blood of injustice and violence. Hagar, the servant of Abraham, is banished. And it's a complicated story. But she goes out into the desert God finds her. God goes after her. And she says, you're the God who sees. You're the God who's looking. People are in prison like Joseph. God knows where he is and takes care of him and actually brings him out. It's a girl called Ruth. She comes into the land. She is an immigrant. But because the people where she goes to in Bethlehem live out God's law as we've just seen and take care of those who are in need, She finds a place in God's kingdom and she becomes the great-grandmother of David, Israel's greatest king. This is what God is like. This is what he does. This is who he is. 
you look at the data in the Bible, the amount of stuff, the glory and the greatness and the creative power is not very much. But the stuff about God's heart and love and care for those in need is overwhelming. I mean, it, you may feel, God, laying this on a bit thick, I am giving you the skimmed surface of it. Because when you read it all, you just think it's this again. It's like singing a song. You just sing the same chorus again and again and again. You maybe get a line here and a line there of something else, and then it's back to this again. Because this is what God's like. He is more concerned with guys like this than he is with the Andromeda galaxy. Because that guy is more like God than anything else in creation. When you want to know what God looks like, it's fine to look at nature. I love doing that. It's fine to look at the stars. That's okay. Uh, You should look at people like that. Or the person sitting next to you. Because the Bible says that we were made by God in his image. We carry Whoever you are, whatever mess you have made of it, however much you may think, no way, I've got nothing to do with God, you do. You're an image bearer of him. That is the dignity that he has given to every human being. So this is what God's like. This This is what he's like. This is what he does. It's a brief overview, but it's, you, you sense that I'm, you know, I haven't just kind of clipped a verse. We've seen a lot of it. And then let's put the gospel in there as well. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel. That's what God has done for you if you're a Christian. You are in a poor state, and that is kind of putting it mildly. You're in a desperate state, and Jesus had everything he needed and everything he wanted. And he exchanged all that, rich, all that riches for your poverty. He was punished in our place on the cross that he might give to us who put our faith in him all the riches that he has. We inherit Everything that God has. Because God loves to care for those in need. There are kind of two ways, aren't there? That well, most kind of charities you look at who who want you to give to the poor, who would want to make this case I'm making this morning, would this photo and many others tell you story after story after story about, of awful things that are going on. And that's right, those things are awful. There's evil, there's wickedness, there's just, there's just what seems to us kind of unlucky. Uh, there's suffering on so many different scales. And we could make a case, and I could do that, and try and pull your heartstrings with that. But what I wanted you to do was see the heart of God. I wanted you to see that this comes from who God is. It's not just there are some bad things and we should try and fix that. Do you feel a bit guilty about that? Yeah, go and help. No, I want you to see this is what God's like. And it's God who works in you. It's, if, when we cooperate with him, we invite him, we say, Lord, have your way in me. That's something many of us here are Christians say. Lord, have your way in me. We're saying, make me more like you. 
And I'm saying that when we ask him to do that, one of the ways in which he will do that is by giving us a heart for the poor, a heart for those who are in need, a heart for those who are, in des- who are desperate, whatever that means. And that's why I've done it this way round, because I want you to get that this is what God is like and that when you ask him to make you like him, this is the kind of thing he'll do. So how is that going? How's how's that going for you? I know you may not have thought about it for a while, but the Bible says remember, which means keeping your mind all the time. This wasn't just a, every once in a while, don't forget, it's like, no, keep in the forefront of your mind those who are in need. That's what God is doing. That's what he wants to work in you. Maybe I'll ask you a couple of questions to help you assess how that's going. When you get a pay raise, you get your student loan or some other kind of financial gift, um, do you think firstly of how it can do you good or how it can do others good? If you're honest, what would happen? First, if someone says, I, I want to give you a £1,000, you'd be like, great, I can finally get that thing I've wanted. If you're honest, what trade would that be? Are you more aware of your, let's say, your next five desired purchases? More aware of those or more aware of the needs of Edinburgh's poorest people? Does your giving to those in need materially affect your daily life? And I mean, you've just assuaged a slightly guilty conscience. I mean, you are, your life is different because you've given so much away. I'm asking myself that too. But when you have a God who gave his son that those who are poor and needy might be made rich, that's the scale you're kind of dealing with. That's what it's like when he works in us. So let's have a look at what that might mean. Those two questions. What have I got? Who can I bless with it? Let's go look at four areas. Firstly, the obvious one, money. Jesus spoke more about money than pretty much anything else because he knew it's where our hearts were and he wanted our hearts. And he knew that when our hearts are changed by God, money just, it just goes. Uh, one of my favorite stats is um, there's some research done a couple of years ago about how much money people perceive to be um, the amount that they need to get by. Um, how much money would be your ideal salary? And they got people to say what their current salary was as well. And at the end of the research, they found an amazing thing that whoever you were and however much you earned, what you thought the ideal salary was was about 10% more than what you had. Whether you're a millionaire or you're living on a bread line, you thought, about 10% more, that's what I really need. Because you always want more. We always want more. It's in our hearts to always want more. So the idea of having less, willingly having less, painfully having less, that can be quite troubling. Two Corinthians nine says, "You'll be enriched in every way." What a great verse! Claim it. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way. There are lots of Christians who say, "Amen." That's why I've got a brand new car and a shiny suit and all these things. I'll be enriched in every way. Well, you need to read the rest of the verse. (laughs) So that you can be generous on every occasion. Every occasion. I speak to lots of people who want to know the calling of God in their life. What's the calling of God in my life? What's the will of God in my life? Well, if he's given you anything, it's so that you can give to others. 
Now, it doesn't matter what job you do. <laughs> I'll get on to the moment it does, but people are like, but what job should I do? This, this, this. Well, the calling is, if you've been enriched, it's so that you can be generous. So with your money and giving, give to kings. I'm kind of, church giving is a, almost a separate category to this, I would say. I think that's how the Bible treats it. It's a separate category. It's vital. It's important. I give firstly then. And then find charities to give to which care for those in need. Uh, so for Deb and I, we, we, we're like, okay, we're looking for charities that are working with churches or that are doing things that churches cannot do but are doing them kind of to bring the gospel in that way because the ultimate poverty is not knowing about Jesus. And so I want to finance whatever's going to help people hear more about him than is currently happening. And that's partly why I give to Kings and why we give to Newground, um, family of churches that we are part of. We uh, sponsor a little girl called Sangeeta um, through a, a charity called Compassion. Uh, many of you will have heard it. Uh, Sangeeta uh, lives in uh, Bangladesh, and we've got a photo of her, and she looks very hardworking for a five-year-old girl. And uh, we're paying for her to go to school, uh, a church project that uh, is in her village, and she's going to be educated. She's going to hear the gospel. And there's actually some research done about compassion a couple of years ago. The increase in people's life chances uh, by sponsoring a child is remarkable. It's like 10, 20, 30 percent. The difference is huge uh, that it makes. And so um, it's a great charity. It does a good thing. And it enables people both to be brought out of poverty and also to hear the gospel, which is the most important thing. And so we love uh, that we sponsor her. We're really glad that we get to do that. We also give to a charity called Open Doors. Uh, You may have heard the story of a guy called Brother Andrew, uh, whose uh, biography um, is a wonderful, autobiography is a wonderful read. Open Doors works with uh, Christians who are uh, being persecuted. Uh, So um, in the Middle East, in Africa, uh, in the Far East, anywhere really where being a Christian uh, means your life is under threat in some way or other. Open doors are more likely than not they're going to be there and they uh, give support and obviously give financial uh, and uh, provision uh, to churches. They train pastors, they give counselling, that kind of stuff. They also advocate uh, for it as well. And so we think, yeah, that's great too. And then there's Bethany right here in our city, Bethany Christian Trust, and we'll speak a little bit more about them again in a bit. But they, they are here, uh, they're running homeless projects, they are uh, helping with uh, elderly. Uh, people will hear a bit more about that a little bit, but for us it's just, well, this is a charity right here, right in our city that's doing good, and so I want to give to them as well. So that's kind of criteria I'd be looking for. What have we got? Well, we've got money. Who can I give it to? Who can I bless? Well, some of the ways in which I can do that is through agencies like this. It just does it on a, on a big scale. You might have 10p spare right now. A pound might be a significant change in your financial circumstances. I encourage you to start there. And just watch God work through that and in you, actually. What have you got? Who can you bless with it? Second thing, time. Maybe you've got a lot more time than you've got money. Well, that's great. God's able to use that. You've got the opportunity to get involved in much more personal ways. You know, you may not have any money in your pocket uh, when the person begging on the street asks you for some. But you do have time to actually stop. Other people are so busy working, they've got money, so they do that. But you can actually stop and speak to them. When I read that Open Doors were holding an event at the House of Commons uh, to report on the persecution of Christians around the world, I thought, well, I've got time. I'll write to my MP. 
um, and so I said to him, this, ha this event is happening. Uh, it's for you to go to. I'd really like it as a member of your constituent in an election year, if you would. Um, <laughs> my church is about 250 people in it. I speak to a number of other churches and church leaders. Uh, this is a big issue for many Christians in this city, in your constituency. Would you go along to that event, please? Why not? He said he would. I tweeted a columnist for The Times uh, who's written about this before. He said he'd go along. I shared the situation on Facebook, uh, wrote a post about it. 100 people read that. And because people like me took the time uh, to do that, uh, the committee room in which the presentation was held was completely full. They couldn't fit any more MPs in because people spent time saying, will you please come to this? And here's how I'm going to twist your arm because... I want you there, and I want those people released from the persecution that they're suffering from. It's just, it's, 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 so that's a, it's just a different thing. It's not like, here you go, it's, let's work on this, let's make this happen. We're going to really quickly um, share with you some of the Kings-based action that we're doing. We're doing more and more of this, and I'm um, going to introduce three of the things that we're doing that you can join in with. The first of those is Basics Bank. Now, Jackie Gordon runs that, and she's uh, not here today, otherwise I'd be asking her uh, to explain uh, the deal. But basically, the Basics Bank works. What they do is they collect non-perishable food on the first Sunday of every month. Uh, you'll notice Jackie in the foyer there uh, with a box and some bags, and we bring non-perishable food to them. She then takes it to uh, Brunsfield Evangelical, who we're working with just up the road, and they have a distribution center and people come to them uh, with basically a shopping list of their needs. And they, they kind of sit them down, say, okay, we can bag that up for you, we'll make that happen. And then they chat with them, uh, offer them a drink, offer to pray with them. The people who are involved have often been referred by organizations and social services. Many of them will have had their benefits stopped for one reason or another. Jack was saying there was a story of someone who had a medical emergency on the day of her job center appointment. And um, that meant she hadn't been able to make her appointment, she'd been in the hospital instead but of course for the, the the way the system works that means that you are immediately your benefits are stopped and in six weeks time you can go through a process that will sort you out well that's no good if you've got no food or no money and so they came to the basics bank and so the way you can help with that is to bring food if things are really tight for you why not use the buy one get one freeze often we look at that and go, oh great i can get more for my money that's how i think i look for the labels and i look for the colored labels in the supermarket and like how can i get the most for my money we could look at them and say, great, I can give even more. It's barely even going to cost me anything. So first Sunday of every month, which is next Sunday. If you'd like to volunteer, if you've got time, again, uh, Jackie needs people to help her kind of actually carry the food up and then to distribute it as well. So she'll be there in the foyer next Sunday. You can speak to her about that. I'd like to invite um, Rosalie and Jenny up as well to share with us a couple of other things that we are involved with. That'd be great, thank you. Rosie, could you start by telling us um, what's been going on um, with the homeless shelter here? Um, we have opened the church as a venue for the homeless shelter four times um, since it started in October. It runs every winter, sort of October through till about, I think they've extended it to April now. Mm. Uh, so it's the Bethany Christian Trust, which Luke was talking about. They don't have a place where they run the shelter. They rely on churches in Edinburgh to do it. So every night between the end of October and the beginning of April, they need a church to open their doors and be a shelter, and we've done four of those. Um, we did that last year, but this year, the difference is that we've made the meal as well. Uh, so last year, it was just me. I was just opening the church, and then coming back the next morning, locking it up. 
um, and the staff team are doing everything and some people from other churches are coming in and cooking. But this year we've got, had a team from King's, about, oh, I did count up, there's at least 15 different people, if not more, who've been involved. Um, and we've actually opened the church and then cooked the meal for the guys, served it to them, chatted to them and then cleaned up and gone home. Brilliant. Um, it's a fairly obvious question, but who does this help? Um, the shelter generally has up to 50 people a night. There have been a few nights where it's been quite warm, or for some reason there have been less, so we've only been serving about 25 people. But it's somewhere between 20 and 50 people a night who need a place to stay and need some food. And it's majority men, but there are also some women as well, probably at least 10 women. Um, and how could people get involved? If they, it's obviously partly the wrong time of year to ask this. Yeah. We've just done, uh, we've just finished for the year because we were only able to offer four nights, but I'm hoping that um, next year we'll be able to offer maybe six, so one every month that the shelter runs during the winter. Um, it needs at least five people um, of an evening. A bit more than that, the kitchen gets a bit full, but less than that, then we struggle for time. Um, so at least five people each one of those nights, and six, seven is great as well. And it would be great if we didn't have to ask the same people to do every one of those nights. The people who've been doing it have really enjoyed it and keep saying they want to come back, but it's, it's quite a big commitment. You've got to be there like straight after work on a Friday night, and you don't get to leave till about 11. Um, so it's a whole evening. So it's great. And it's, the more people we can get involved, the better. So if I had a whole pool of people who wanted to do it um, next winter, that would be great. So just come and let me know if you're interested. I think from probably August or September, they'll start asking for venues again and catering teams. So I'll put us down for that. Thank you. Jenny, how about you? What are you doing? So I'm involved in elder, um, Bethany's elderly befriending that they do around the city. So we have two ways of doing that. Um, one way is a one-to-one, or it's actually in pairs befriending. So it'll be two people go and visit um, an elderly person in their home, or they go out for coffee with them. And we've got, I think, about um, six older people being befriended through that at the moment. And then the other thing that we're doing is we've just set up um, an activities group in a sheltered housing complex in Tollcross. Um, we've had about four sessions, very early stages, um, but I know that we can do amazing things with that. And I'm, I'm already thinking, you know, maybe we can do more, you know, we can set up another group somewhere else um, because we've had so many people interested to, to help out. Um, but like Rosalie says, we can always do with more people. Um, so come and talk to me if you'd like to get involved at all. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. These are just kind of really quite early days for us with this, but we're committed to it. We want to see it happening more and more and more, and it's mostly people giving their time. So what have you got? Who can you bless with it? You've got some time. Third thing, abilities. You might not have a job, but you have talents that other people will benefit from if you shared them. I've seen people doing that in Kings. I love it. Um, and there are just all sorts of ways in which you can do that. And I want you to be thinking about that. You just think, what are the skills God's given me? What are the abilities that he's given me? What am I able to do that I could either help other people learn how to do as well and thus empower them that way or that will just benefit other people by when I apply what I can do to them or with them? Here at King's, we've supported the um, anti-people trafficking charity Justice and Care for years. It started because someone with legal skills and training put them to work for the righteous cause of attacking abuse and corruption. One of our art students here has just been working on an illustration project to help adults with learning disabilities. What do you have? It doesn't have to, those things can say, oh, wow, that's an amazing scale of things. I'm just, I'm not good at any of those things. Well, speak to someone who knows you. Maybe small group would be a good place to say, I don't know what I'm good at. Do you know? And they'll be like, yes, this. You should do that for other people. 
It's just thinking creatively with what has God given me and what would that look like if I gave that and shared that with others. Final thing. So we've got, many of us have money, we can use that. Most of us have time, we can use that. All of us have abilities, we can use them. Final thing, different, slightly different tack, authority. Desmond Tutu said, as Christians, we need not just be pulling the drowning bodies out of the river, we need to be going upstream to find who is pushing them in. <laughs> who do you have influence on which you could use to increase justice and reduce suffering? Not necessarily talking about all of, you know, Africa. I mean where you are, who you're with. It may be shaping your kids' thinking. If you're a parent, are you showing them what generosity looks like? Are they learning what it's like to be part of God's family in which, through which people are always looking how to bless others? Are you bringing that in to your kids? It might be changing how your company works. You might currently have very little influence. Well, God says, if you're faithful with a little, I'll give you more. So if you're faithful where you are, I believe that most times God is going to give you more. So if you're like, I don't have very much influence at the moment. Like, well, be faithful with that. Watch that grow. Watch that rise. Watch that increase. I just, you know, I didn't put my mind to this for long, but just, this is what happens when people have got authority and what they can do with it. We need lawyers who will represent those who are denied justice and who will also write and enforce just laws. We need teachers who will bring hope to failing schools, who will share best practice, and who will write curriculums. We need administrators and, management, and managers who will run departments fairly, who will change the culture of the companies that they're working in, and even entire industries, as they honour God with what they do, and then share, show others that this is how it can be done. We need entrepreneurs who create work for others and define how sectors can, become, can be run justly and successfully. Now, I know that that can sound like impossible, the scale of that. You're like, I'm just trying to get through my day in my office. I appreciate that. But to be honest, this world is a mess and God is able. And I just think we need to raise our eyes. I think we need to believe God for more. It can't just be that we get by because there are a lot of people dying. And there are a lot of people in desperate need. And God's heart is that you and me and we bless them. So I want to encourage you to think big in that. So many of our ambitions are so limited to ourselves. I want to be able to retire early. I want to have a comfortable house. I want the kids to be happy. Da -la 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 -la. Really? I mean, I'm not saying those things are wrong, but God's ambition is that justice would be in this nation and around the world. God's ambition is that the coming reality where there is no lack and where there is no strife and tension, that kingdom of God would be brought into the earth now. That's God's ambition. That's God's intention. What authority has God given you or will he give you that you can use in this way? One story. In the 18th century, most water was unsafe to drink. People didn't know why, but they just knew if they drank it, it wouldn't do them very well. So the safest thing to do was to drink alcohol because of the processing of it. And most people drink just very weak beer and that's kind of all right. But a lot of people drank gin. And Jin just killed them in a different way and ruined society. There was a guy called Arthur Guinness who hated this. He thought, this can't be right. So he thought, I will make a drink that people will drink and they'll want to drink and it will do them good. You may have heard of it. 
What you may not know is that he paid his workers better than other companies did and all his competitors. And that the profits he made he used to build schools and hospitals and fund missions around the world. Because Arthur Guinness had the spirit of God working in him. And there are many, many stories like this. I'm probably going to put some in the small group notes. I mean, I would have doubled this preach with the stories of people who have, from the earliest days of Christianity, right up until now with food banks, have said to God and have felt his spirit work in them. And he said, love your neighbor. And they've said, all right. And have thought to themselves, what have I got? And who can I bless it with? Remembering the poor, keeping them at the forefront of our mind was an apostolic priority. Paul, an apostle of God, called to do all that we believe God wants to do in terms of building church and advancing his kingdom, never stopped thinking about the poor. It's just simply non-negotiable. Paul rated it as the very thing I was eager to do. It doesn't happen when we twist arms and make you feel guilty. It happens when God, by his spirit, works in us and changes us and makes us more like his son. I believe he's been doing that this morning. So it's just, we're going to finish now. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to seal that work in us. And just where you are, just sitting, just turn your attention to God. Maybe there's something I've said that's particularly grabbed you. Maybe it's just the heart of God. You've just never thought of God in this way, that this is so much his priority. Spirit of God, you have had your way amongst us this morning. Keep now at work in those hearts that are just hearing you, seeing you like this for the first time. Maybe you're thinking about your money or your time or your abilities or the authority that you have. It may have been nothing of what I said, but it sparked a thought in you. You thought, I could do that. I could try that. I could do more of this. Whatever it was, God is speaking to you right now, stirring up some imagination, some godly imagination. Why don't you settle in your heart now that, yes, I want to do that. Lord, I'll cooperate with you on that. Lord God, we know that you love those who are in need. Uh, You've shown it to us in your word so clearly. We've experienced it in our own lives, those of us who have put our trust in you. We know that we were poor, yet you gave us your riches, that because of your poverty, we might be made rich. Lord, may that be the paradigm by which we live our lives. We follow you, that we follow your prompting to love and care and help and support those in need. God, make this more and more a part of who we are. Amen.